Hello and welcome to episode three of the Post Survivor podcast. And uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about desire. Uh, what do you want out of life? What are your What are your deep desires? What do you want to accomplish? You know, where is your heart taking you? And why aren't you yet there? So um, I like to talk about the guilt, obligation, duty, industrial complex. Uh, So often, if you are a trauma survivor from childhood, if you're a childhood sexual abuse survivor, you know, you're someone who grew up in a home where you know, what you wanted and needed just wasn't important. Like, it was the last thing that anybody cared about. It can just be really tough, you know, because you take that with you into adulthood. And if your heart isn't valued, if what you want and what you need isn't valued, and you struggle with this deep sense of obligation... Um, often it's obligation to, you know, a person who might be a provider, obligation to a particular employer or a partner or, you know, some kind of group that you get support from. You can end up spending your entire life serving this entity or person and their needs at the expense of your own. And when you help someone else, you know, fulfill all the desires of their heart at the expense of what your own heart wants, it's a little bit of a betrayal. Um, And I guess I've just been thinking a lot about this lately, you know, Um, thinking about what do I want versus what do I think I should do? So if you get into a situation where, <clears throat> say, say you don't, you know, always have the resources to do what you want to do or what you think you want to do. So you end up kind of, you know, working that stable job um, because it provides for you. And the thought of leaving it, you know, leaves you sort of clammy and <laughs> panicking It's like you can get to a point where, you know, you have all of these kind of loyalties and allegiances and things that you think that you should do. And so often these things that you think you should do are really getting in the way of what you want to do. So you kind of have to untangle that and get to the bottom of it, you know, so that you don't have to be like me running around your apartment saying stuff like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. You know, who's going to tell me that? (laughs) No one. I have no one who can tell me that. I'm the only one who can answer that question. And, um, you know, I don't want to be like this DMV lady who I met. Like I came to a new state. I wanted to get a new driver's license. And frankly, it was expiring, so I had to. And uh, 
you know, she was friendly enough, uh, courteous, you know, chit-chatting. And then she asked me what brought me to this particular city that I'm in. And I just said, uh, you know, I had this job at the time that I could work remote. And so I said, well, I just, you know, I had a choice as to where I wanted to live. So I thought I would try out this place. And as soon as she heard that, she just completely changed. It was like the friendly chit chat was a mix of sort of ominous silence and surly responses. And the only thing that changed is that I told her I had a choice. You know, why are you here? Well, because I just thought I'd, I thought I'd try it. And that's a really wild concept for a lot of people. You know, um, they want to know that you had a reason for coming here. Not just like, I wanted to. It's like, oh, well, you came here because your family's from here. Or because you got a job offer. Or you went to school here. Like, they, they don't understand. I just wanted to try it. <laughs> it's just really, it's like out of, out of their comprehension. But the problem is that when you can't imagine just making a free choice, you end up working at the DMV and you're okay most of the time until something comes in and reminds you of how you are not free. So I don't want to be like that. So I've just, I've been really taking a lot of time for more than a year really to get in touch with what I want so that I can pursue it. And as you go to get in touch with these things, you encounter walls. <laughs> you encounter the things that have been stopping you. And those are usually beliefs. And so I've been confronting a lot of these beliefs. And it's been a very interesting process. And I think the first thing that I would have to bring up is just, you know, I was a product of evangelical Christianity. And in this kind of environment, you know, you're brought up to please very certain authority structures. Like you have to please your father and you have to please God. And of course, God, in quotes, wants what your father wants, you know, or what your pastor wants. So it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of conditioned into this structure, this mindset where you are here to basically help someone else fulfill his dreams. And that's probably going to be your husband if you're a woman. Like you're here to pour your heart into his desire. Your desire is secondary, if not even present at all. The important thing in this scenario is that you support him. Um, I'll give you an example that I just, it's like it's burned in my brain. I can't get this one out of my head. I... Uh, went to California and um, it was like this three city sort of disaster tour. 
<laughs> I thought I thought I was going to move back there, and um, that didn't happen. Um, but I had some interesting pit stops along the way, and I end up in this um, coastal town. And um, back then, I still thought that I was supposed to belong to a church or something. Like, that was just where I belonged, and I was supposed to find some kind of church that I didn't hate so much that I wouldn't, like, walk out in disgust every Sunday morning. FYI, this has never happened. I've never found that place. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's liberal. It doesn't matter if it's conservative. I can't find that place. I, 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 I let go of that one. Anyway, back then I thought I was supposed to find this church and that was going to be like my home or something. And so the one big, um, the one big thing, the one big issue that I could not put up with is if the church was complementarian. So that's just a sort of fancy, you know, doctrinal term for a way of looking at women and their role in life. And according to the complementarian philosophy, the man was created first, and so he's the leader and he's the one in power. And um, what he wants and needs come first, and the woman because she was created second and she was supposedly taken out of Adam. Um, she's here to be Adam's helper. Uh, so, you know, um, what she wants, like her, I don't know, her career path, her interests, her hobbies, her mission, her calling, that's not actually important. And complementarians will tell you that it is, but it, it's not because the whole structure basically says that men are first and women are second. So I'm basically trying to suss this out. Um, and I sent an email to the pastor's wife uh, asking to meet up with her and ask some questions, you know, about their philosophy on gender roles and uh, so on. So, um, so we meet up for coffee and... I'm asking her these kind of point-blank questions um, about this belief system, and she doesn't want to answer, and she's very cagey. And, you know, when someone doesn't want to answer your questions, it's because they're not really proud of their answer. Uh, you know, if you're really proud of where you're coming from, you're just going to answer them really forthrightly, and you're going to just come clean and be like, yeah, this is what we are, this is what I believe. But she couldn't do it, and she just starts confessing all this stuff to me. And she says, you know, growing up, she had this fear that she was going to become a pastor's wife. And I was like, well, that fear came true. <laughs> you are a pastor's wife. And she was like, you know, I just always said to myself, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I don't want to. And then guess who I meet? A guy who wants to be a pastor. And I'm like, well, you know, what did you do? She says, well, you know, I always had this dream. I'm like, what? And she says, I've always wanted to do public relations in LA. Like, I just want to do PR in LA. And I was like, that's what you want to do? She's like, yeah, I just, I really want to do that. And it was like, okay, why can't you do that? 
And the reason she couldn't do that is because she had to serve her husband, and she was a pastor's wife. And he was in this particular town doing his thing, serving his mission, fulfilling his calling, fulfilling the desire of his heart. And that didn't leave a whole lot of room for doing PR in LA. Now, mind you, I've done PR in LA, and it's not that great. I, I really did not enjoy that. But that's not my heart's desire, you know. Um, that's not what my heart calls to me and says, like, Kelly, let's go, let's, let's work for a developer in LA. Let's send press releases about beauty products. Let's work for a pharmaceutical company and help them share their news. Like, that's just not what my heart is all about. So that's not important to me, but it was important to her. And she's sitting here on a coffee date telling a total stranger that she never wanted to be married to the person she's married to. And she really just wants to be a thousand miles away doing a completely different job in a different city. This is what happens to you when you don't think that what you want matters. And this is death because if she stays in that job, she's gonna become more and more disengaged. She's gonna have less energy. I mean, listen, how is she like ministering to me as she confesses her misery? You know, and if you're a pastor's wife, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you're supposed to be, oh God, the pressures on these poor people are just absolutely ridiculous. You're supposed to be modeling perfect wifehood. You're supposed to be modeling perfect motherhood. You're supposed to be this example. And, you know, how engaged is this poor woman in her work? Her heart's not in it. You know, and you can't do a really good job at something if your heart is a thousand miles away. So this is just, this is just really tough. You know, it's like we make these decisions all the time out of a sense of duty and that sense of guilt I was talking about and the obligation. But then what do you have to contribute? You know, when you find yourself in this place and it's not where you want to be, you don't have a lot of energy, you don't have a lot of passion, it's not bringing you alive. And if the work and the life isn't bringing you alive, if the place where you are kind of makes you want to cry, you're not actually contributing much. You know, it's like making a decision to stay in a relationship out of guilt. That person knows you're there out of guilt. They know you don't love them. They know that. And then all kinds of toxic problems start to grow out of that decision. So, um, so if you don't have anything to contribute, if your heart isn't in it, because you really don't have the energy and the life isn't there, you don't have power. Like this really comes down to a sense of power. How are you supposed to make things happen? How are you supposed to connect with what you want if you don't have a sense of power? So people always think power comes from making decisions, right? Like you make choices. 
Um, and if you make this choice, it gets you closer to your destination. But if your heart isn't in that choice, the choice isn't going to get you anywhere good. Like you can make a choice to stay in a relationship with a narcissistic relative. So what has that choice gotten you closer to? It's gotten you closer to another, you know, um, I don't know, coffee date, lunch date, whatever, with this particular relative. That's what it got you closer to, you know? Um, that's not good. <laughs> Every time you make a choice, that choice is in service to something. That choice either serves um, your goal or it serves someone else's goal or it serves an institution's goal. And sometimes it serves both of your goals and that's good. But so often it's like we make these choices because we want to take care of someone else's desire. And then that just leaves us out in the cold. So how do you connect with that power? Um, if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that, and I know it sounds trite, but it's like love is just this substance that's like, um, man, it's like breast milk. You know, like it's all you need. You know, it's got everything you need in it. It's got, it's got the stuff that helps you succeed. It has the stuff that helps you grow. It has the stuff that helps you commit. It has the stuff that helps you, you know, take something, take a little seed and turn it into something miraculous. And if the love isn't there, the growth isn't there. You know, it's like, I, I can start all kinds of projects. But if the passion's not there, if my heart's not in it, it just kind of hangs out, you know? It's not great. I don't finish it. It's like another one. It's like I, I've got a graveyard of unfinished pro projects. And... Um, you know, they're just, they're sitting there. If I ever want to return to them, they'll be there. But I don't return to them because my heart's not in it. Um, and your power is in your heart. So, you know, if your heart isn't in it, then the thing that you're putting your time and your energy into, it isn't going to grow. And then what a waste of time trying to grow something that you don't love. As a childhood sexual abuse survivor, you know, you probably grew up with a heart that wasn't valued. You know, maybe you think, well, why do I want to put my heart in something? You know, um, my heart isn't really worth much. You know, no one ever cared about what I wanted. No one ever cared about what I needed. So if you grow up with this heart that's not valued, you're going to look around and you're going to try to find what was valued so that you can try to earn your way. Um, so, okay, well, if what I want and need in this heart of mine isn't worth anything, well, what is? And for me, the thing that was valued was labor. Um, you know, 
if I worked really, really, really hard, you know, I might get a trickle. Um, abusers want to see you work really hard to please them. And they don't care about your heart. So you grow up thinking that your time and your energy is really important. And maybe doing the right thing is important because you have a sense of justice. But you don't value your desire because desire lives in your heart. You, know, you should see me trying to do something I don't care about. I mean, I have very little sense of obligation anymore, which I consider to be a really good thing. Um, but when I care, watch out, you know, and big or small, it doesn't matter. Like I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, I had one of those egg babies, you know, like you get, um, it's like just this, the, the egg, the raw egg, and you're supposed to carry it around or whatever for like a week and not destroy it, not drop it on the ground. And it's supposed to like teach you about responsibility or something. I don't know. But like, I loved this stupid egg. And I was like, I was so careful with it. And I took it with me everywhere. And I protected it. And I nurtured it. And honestly, you know, that probably says a lot about, you know, who I had in my life at that time. <laughs> like... Um, I did have toys. Why did I form this incredible bond with a raw egg? I don't know. <laughs> you know? But I did. I love that stupid thing. So I took care of it. You know, I thought about it. I was careful with it. You know, I, I put my heart into that stupid thing. And guess what? It was still going strong at the end of the week. Now, on the other hand, take... I don't know, office work. You know, like you put me in an office, almost any office, and it's like, you know, you've got a house plant that you haven't watered in two months. I'm drooping. I have the hardest time in the world coming into an office, sitting at a desk, and doing work on a computer all day. It's just like... It's like a piece of my soul just, it just shuts down, you know? Like, I cannot explain to you how much I hate offices. But like, how many other jobs are there that don't involve offices or being in a retail establishment? Listen, those are hard jobs. You got to be on your feet all day and they don't pay shit. So, you know... For a long time, it was just like, oh, I, I guess I have to do this office thing. But man, you know, you got, you got a short life. And I don't want to spend my short life going to a place I hate in a dingy, fluorescent lit office and doing something that I don't really care about. Um, in support of a mission that leaves me just cold, you know? And so it's like, I got to find something else. You know, I've, I've had to, I've just had to make a lot of choices in service of what I care about. 
but finding what I care about really was the difficult part. And not just finding, but then giving myself, you know, permission. Like so, so much of what we think that we can and can't do, there's another side to this. It's not just about guilt and it's not just about obligation. So often we say, well, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to do what I want to give in. You know, um, I've got to, and you know, you just, it's like the self-righteous fury. I've got to be working so hard to make this money to support everyone. And it's like, well, I'm not hearing a lot of wonder and joy in your voice. And I'm not hearing that because you don't have any, because it's been suffocated by a fear of not having enough. And when you think you don't have enough, when you can't afford it, you never pursue what you want. But here's a question. Does it take power to make money? It does, right? You know, anybody can come clock in and you're going to make your $10 an hour and you're not making money, right? It's not about showing up. So much of this is about what's in your heart. You think, well, you know, what does money have to do with your heart? Well, where is your power? Your power is in love and that, that, that comes from your heart. So when you really want something, when you have that desire, you make it happen. The people who get stuff done, who, who get things accomplished in this world, they start with a passion. They don't start with, well, I really feel like, you know, I've got to go to the office and this is just what I have to do, you know, and um, I don't have any other choices. You've got a real ceiling there, right? You've got a really thick and um, impenetrable ceiling if that's your mindset. You're never going to bust out. You know, it's like you have to get away from this idea of I can't afford to do that. Because if you have a passion, if you have a desire, there's love in that. And that's where all your power is. And you actually can make it happen. So I want to read a little passage um, from one of my favorite authors in the world. Her name is Mary Oliver, and she's the one who gave us that gem you know, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? Okay, this woman, she has this book. Um, it's a collection of essays called Upstream. And it's just stunning. Um, it just dropped me again and again and again. So here's just a, a short little passage that has been speaking to me uh, deeply. And she writes, A friend left us a bluefish. I went down to the edge of the water to clean it. When I had it scaled and slipped the sharp knife into the belly flesh, it broke open, not from any carelessness of mine, but from a fine necessity. The bluefish had been feeding on small fish, sand eels, and its stomach, like a red and tensile purse, was stuffed full. Pieces of sand eels fell out, and among them, maybe a half dozen were intact, squirming, unhurt, in fact. So quickly, without a moment's warning, does the miraculous swerve and point to us, 
demanding that we be its willing servant. Swifter than thought, my hands scooped them and plunged them into the cold water, and the film of their siblings' death fell from them. For an instant, they throbbed in place, too dazed to understand that they could swim back into life, and then they uncurled like silver leaves and flashed away. Oh, man. Without a moment's warning, does the miraculous swerve and point to us, demanding that we be its willing servant. And in this case, you know, she's saving a couple of sand eels who were still alive, who didn't have to die. And they swam back into life. It's like my version of death is that particular office job. And being set free from that is swimming into life. But everybody's got a different death. You know, for the pastor's wife, she's living her death. This passage from Mary Oliver, it's just all about being saved from the jaws of death. And um, we all have a different death and we all have a different life. You know, something that brings me to life um, is something that someone else just couldn't stand. You know, um, like I said, I did that whole PR thing in LA, not going back, not sorry. (laughs) So here's a question that I just want to ask you. What dutiful thing do you think you need to do that is like death to your heart? And I'm going to leave you with that. Um, And I think the only important thing here is just to be honest. And if there are limitations, if there are reasons why you say you can't do it, oh man, I just really hope that you would dig into that. If it's because you can't afford it, you know, maybe that business that you started Uh, Maybe your heart wasn't in it, and that's why it didn't work. Maybe not, but maybe. You know, maybe uh, you flunked out of school because you just couldn't bring yourself to go to class. And there is something else you need to do. You know, maybe there's an invention. Maybe there's um, a nonprofit you have to found. Anything, whatever it is. It's like I I listen to these things that don't work out, the things that don't grow, the things that don't thrive. They're signposts. They let me know, in my life, this is how it works. Stuff that doesn't grow, I was not even in it. Man, I was somewhere else. It's really hard to grow something if you are not present and passionate. Yeah, so what dutiful thing do you think you need to do that is like death to your heart? Because as long as you keep doing it, you're not doing the other thing that you so desperately want to do. So um, with that, I hope that you can connect with your heart's desire I hope you can confront the beliefs that tell you you can't have it. 
And uh, as usual, I'm wishing you peace and freedom. <laughs>